Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. And today we're welcoming the CEO of LawGig. That's Haley Leviashvili, and she is here to talk to us about untraditional legal paths and getting a position, obtaining a position at Gig Law. I'm delighted to welcome you, Haley. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I'm honored to be a guest on your podcast. Thank you. I just want to tell everybody a bit about you, Haley, because it's quite an impressive background. You recently graduated from Fordham Law School in New York City, and it's an interesting path that you took when you were in law school. We've all gone to law school and none of us seem to have really come up with the concept that you did, which was to start gig law. And I'm very impressed with how you started this initiative and you did it while you were in law school. So we're going to get into a little bit more about what that involves, but I just wanted to let everybody know that this is a unique, untraditional type of career path that you can take for the people that are joining you as freelancers and contractors. So let's just dive into a little bit more about you. Let's tell everybody about how it all started and how you came up with this amazing concept. Thank you so much for your kind words. I'm very excited to be here and excited about this untraditional path because I definitely do not enter law school thinking that I was going to do this entrepreneurial route. So I'm originally from New York. I grew up here, loved the East Coast. But when I went to undergrad, I wanted to try out the West Coast and go to California. So I went to undergrad at the University of Southern California, which is in the heart of Los Angeles. So while I was there, I fell in love with entertainment, thought I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. And then when I was focusing my law school search, I decided to focus back in New York to be closer to the family. That's how I ended up at Fordham Law in New York City. So Fordham's a fantastic school and specifically in the U.S. I'm not sure how similar it is in Canada or other jurisdictions, but a lot of law schools try to send as many students as possible to corporate law. And so I knew I didn't want to go to corporate law. So I went to my career center and said, hey, I really want to do entertainment. I'm also interested in human rights. I just told them a whole array of interests that I had. And they essentially told me, go to corporate law for five years, and then you'll be able to figure out what you want to do. It's great training, et cetera, et cetera. And so I do not really like that advice. How did you know that you didn't want to go to corporate? Because there's a lot of pressure right. on students yeah. to fit that track. That's mm-hmm. seen as the end of all ends. And yep. where did you get that trend right from the beginning? So I think this actually had a lot to do with being in LA and also seeing my dad who worked in corporate. He wasn't a lawyer, but he does coding and he worked at Goldman Sachs and at Cantor Fitzgerald. So I really see what this corporate world is like and I see the hours and and I have no problem working 80 to 100 hours per week, but I'd rather do that for myself. And I'd rather not, I knew I did not want to be in this rigorous structured world. I fell in love with the sort of startup freelance gig economy life because everyone in my life, at least out in LA, and I did have a lot of friends right out of college, they just went into this. And I saw that unstructured lifestyle. And I also, I had my cousin, she went to a startup right after undergrad, and this was in 2010. And she has had immense, incredible success being one of the first 10 employees at the, a startup that now is worth four or five billion dollars so I see the I saw the potential of doing an untraditional route and going to law school for me it was always a route that I wanted to take because I love understanding the concepts and the laws that create a country and the create 
the social and political and economic aspects of a world or of our country. So I wanted to understand that. But I, for me, I just knew that corporate world wasn't for me. And I worked in corporate environments when I was an undergrad in internships at a real estate investment firm in the legal department. And I've also seen like I, I would speak to a lot of corporate attorneys. And I just knew in my gut, it was not the route for me. My parents really tried to push it for me because my dad, he's from the former Soviet Union. He's an immigrant. He came to the US, just hustled and worked his butt off in this corporate world. So for him, that's like, you work your butt off in a corporate world, you get paid, you live a comfortable life, et cetera. They're, he's very risk averse. And I think a lot of people that go to law school are risk averse as well. So going and getting that corporate law job, it's that less risky path. You know, you're going to have a great salary. You know, you're going to be comfortable. And for me, I just wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And so entertainment was such an obvious option for me because I love film. I love television. I love the art behind it, but I knew I didn't have that creative creative side. So I'm like, you know what, let me be as close as possible. And I can do it by going through the law side. And so I actually was able to land an internship at Warner Brothers after my first year, which is like the, the one of the hearts of entertainment. It's a major company, obviously global offices as well. But so that was out in LA. And I loved it. It was an amazing experience. I was specifically in domestic TV distribution. But then I realized, okay, I really would, I don't know if this is really what I want to commit a decade long career to. I just, I felt very insecure in that decision, very insecure in being able to confidently say, I'm going to be an entertainment lawyer for 20 years. And that's, what's going to make me happy for the rest of my life. So when I was saying that you say that when you're, you're not confident on making that decision, but you were confident on being entrepreneurial. So that's quite an observation and recognizing your own strengths Mm -hmm. as you go forward in this journey. So you recognize that there's a missing link. What was it? Mm -hmm. So that missing link was the lack, the education system, at least in the US, I can't speak for every other education system, but I have found similarities with international attorneys I've spoken to. But the education system is really theoretical and it's not really as practical as I think it should be. So the missing gap that I found was that I wasn't able to get hands-on experience in multiple facets of the legal profession, whether it's bankruptcy, estate planning, IP, general business law. There's so many different parts of the law and I can take a class on it, but it's much different than actually learning what that type of attorney or lawyer does in that practice. So that's why in my second year, I started just reaching out to any lawyer that would speak to me to tell me what their practice was like, tell me what their day-to-day was like, tell me what they liked or disliked about their specific practice. That actually led me to speaking to one attorney, general business attorney, but a specialization in cryptocurrency. And he was like, look, I'm a solo practitioner. I could really use the assistance. I don't want to bring someone on full time. Would you want to help me out on a project basis? And you can kind of get an idea of what I do as a lawyer and you get to make money and I get the assistant. So that's where this whole concept came about and I absolutely loved what I was doing with him. So I figured, you know what, let me go reach out to other lawyers who might need this type of business as well. And then by the time it was the summer of my second year, after my second year, I was going to an entertainment firm because I had secured that the summer before, but I had five clients. One was bankruptcy. One was this general business attorney. One was another general business attorney. One was an entertainment. One was estate planning. And so I was able to get all this experience in so many different parts of the law while I was at a firm. So it was a very, it's a very long, tiring summer, but I just felt like 
I was getting such a better, more well-rounded education through this, this small little business that I built for myself. How did you yeah. manage to balance all the time requirements that this was going to take? It sounds like a, a bit overwhelming yeah. listening to it. You have yeah. high different yeah. clients. Plus, were you doing this during school? So when I first started with just the one client in March 2019, and I was balancing it with school, when I was a second year student, I chose classes that I really enjoyed and were mainly were paper classes, some finals classes, but having only one or two clients really wasn't that much of a time commitment. Because when I think you're in your second and third year of law school, you, you're in the groove, you understand what law school is like. It's not the first year where it's all of those like core classes. I really had excess time where I could do this work. So I was very excited about that. The summer was definitely exhausting. I was waking up at 5 a.m. doing work for the clients from 5.30 to 9, then doing work for the firm from 9 to 7. In the lunch break, I was doing work for clients. And then from 7 to 10 or 11, I was doing the client work again. Again, like as I said, I would much rather work 80 hours a week for myself than a, than a firm or, so, or someone else. So I didn't mind doing it. It was definitely exhausting. I definitely had to come up with a to-do list, a checklist, everything that, you know, to keep me organized. So that summer was really, that having that much amount of work during the summer prepared me for the third year of law school, where again, I was taking classes, but that was when I was like, you know what, I can manage bringing on more clients. And then in January, 2020 was when I decided to officially pursue this entrepreneurial path, turn down the firm offer. And then I was able to expand to 10 clients. And that's what I felt was my maximum capacity while I was in law school. And then I graduated in May and then June, 2020 was when I brought on law students. And that was when the workload started to shift from me to the students. And that was kind of the birth of it all. But having that experience, especially in the summer, really taught me because as an entrepreneur, they entrepreneurs wear every single hat of a business. You know, you have a million things on your to-do list at once. And that was kind of like training for right now where I have every day, I, it's different, but it's exciting. It's a lot of work, but at the end of the day, any legal profession you go down, you're going to be doing a lot of work. So it's just, are you going to be doing a million things? Or are you going to do one thing? At the end of the day, it's still going to be 10, 12, 14 hour days. So you've just started really onboarding your your law mm -hmm. students to help you with this. It really isn't been a long time that you've had this in place. So tell us about right. that. Tell us how you go about mm -hmm. that process. If somebody wants a position with you, what do mm -hmm. they do? What do they need to do to prepare? How should they go about this yeah. to be successful? Absolutely. So the main way that people have been finding gig law is through LinkedIn. They either see a post, they, they see one of the company posts, referrals. So either someone has heard about it, they tell them about it, and they just come to me, they ask me, hey, I'm interested in this. So is we have a four part application process that we use to just really vet the students, it's actually technically only three parts, but it's one that initial interest reaching out and saying that you're interested, and then I request that you send materials. So the materials, they're an unofficial transcript, a resume, a statement of interest, and a writing sample. And so the unofficial transcript, we do have a minimum GPA requirement, but that is flexible because if I see, you know, you were working while you were also in school, or maybe you know, you never know what happens in someone's personal life. Like you could have had some family issues and that affected your grades. So it's not so much the minimum GPA. It's also seeing like a growth in grades. So first semester of your law school, you didn't do well, but then I see improvement in second semester or even your second and third year when you're taking classes that you really enjoy and then you see an improvement in your grades. That's awesome. I love to see that. 
And then the resume is really just to show that you have had some legal experience. So we don't take any first years on. They already have enough on their plate. They really have to focus on that. But I like to just see you had an internship, you clerked with a judge, you were a paralegal, just you have some sort of legal experience before. And then the statement of interest, it's just a brief paragraph showing me why you want to be a part of gig law, like what you want to learn about, whether you have interest in litigation or transactional privacy, estate planning, you can have a whole broad array of interest. And that's awesome. I actually prefer that because that means you're open to accepting any type of assignment. So just seeing that interest is awesome. And then the writing sample, the writing sample, I prefer to see something along the lines of an article or a blog post, because a lot of times if the student submits their writing sample from law school, you know, like that's been worked through with the professor and everything. So I like seeing raw material that's like, this is what I wrote, or like a draft of a contract or something that you've done at an internship, because that's essentially the type of assignment that we're going to give you. And so those materials are just used as a, like a general evaluation, getting an idea of what the students like. And the number one thing that I look for is that there's an eagerness and a willingness to learn about different facets of the legal profession. Like you're not fully committed to one thing in particular, you're open to learning about others and getting experience in another. Or maybe you've had experience in litigation and you want to try out transactional law. I just want to see a genuine interest in figuring out what part of the law you want to practice in. And those are the best types of students. And then we put them through a test assignment, which isn't an an assignment itself. It's really saying, hey, here's an assignment we've gotten in the past. How would you approach this type of assignment? So whether it's you have to draft a contract, putting out an eighth grade level reading, because this is what the client wants us to do because he's creating templates for startups to be able to use. So then the student will send me first, I would do this, this, this. And so I like to see the thought process of how they would approach an assignment. And I always love seeing if I have a question, I'm going to reach out because I'd rather you reach out to me so I can either ask a client or try to help you through it rather than you just trying to guess this is what I think that they want and then then having to redo it. And so that's that part. And then the last part is just an informal interview, quote unquote, with me, where I just walk you through the processes of the way that the system works. And that's essentially how it works. It's a, it's been a fun process. I've had to tweak it as I've grown because, you know, the process used to be a little different, but yeah, it's been very exciting. It sounds like it would involve a lot of trust because you're dealing with lawyers, you're dealing with students Mm -hmm. and you're having to put these assignments. Do you have a portal? How do you do it? How does the work get assigned? How does it all work? Absolutely. So there are two types of ways that students can receive assignments. And one type is that they're paired directly with a client. Send the introductory email. I get them set up on our end to track their hours. And we have the whole process on that. And that's really easy. You know, you have direct communication with the client. So they tell you, hey, I need this. Here's a description. And that's all communication via email. Because we want to be able to fold our processes into the client's already existing processes. And then the other way is we have an internal dashboard that has assignments that get posted whenever an client either submits it directly to that portal through this form that we have set up, or they submit it to me and then I upload it through the form. And then once it gets posted to the dashboard, the student gets notified, they can decide whether, and all of the students get notified. So it's a first come first serve basis. So it's when they want to accept it, they can accept it. And that dashboard includes all the details that they need for that. So that's really the the two ways that the processes work. Okay. And what would you say would get in the way of a student coming forward and wanting to do this with you? 
I think there are two things. I think the first thing is potentially time management, making sure they're going to be able to manage school and re receiving these types of assignments because school is always a number one priority. And then the other one is probably fear. I and mean, we've discussed this, you know, it's a lot of the times students may have imposter syndrome, like, oh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how I'll be able to do this. Like, how, how am I going to know what to do? And that fear it really is something that I think held me back at first in law school, like, oh, I don't know, I think everyone at some point or another will experience imposter syndrome, but it's having the confidence that you're a law student, you're here to learn, like you're learning, everyone has, everyone's learning when they first enter law school. And so just having the willingness to learn and receive feedback, you shouldn't have that fear, because no matter what, you're going to be learning and the clients understand that we understand that that this is all a learning process. So this is for students. And once they're no longer a student, can they continue to work with you? How does it work? So we've actually had, once people finish taking the bar exam in October, we had a ton of outreach from recent graduates who either had their job offers rescinded, or maybe they're looking for a new job, or maybe they just want this type of setup where it's, they're working part-time for a firm. They want to have some sort of part-time work with us as well. So we have a lot of recent graduates on board and that's awesome. We love having them because they have so much time availability. And, you know, after going through the three years of law school, your brain really does think differently. They're in that legal mindset. So 100% after law school, you can definitely stay on. And we actually also offer the opportunity that if you are paired directly with a client and the client loves working with you, we can set that up where you can get a full-time offer from that client. So this really is a whole process of, um, of a, a journey we're all on together. And what happens when people are successful? What do they get? They're paid on a contract basis. A, a student can earn a certain amount of money as they go through school. Like, how does that work? So this was actually one of the main motivating factors for me to start doing this type of service for myself, because I was like, you know, I'm 24 years old, I'm an adult, I need to make money, you know, I have interest accruing on loans. And so this every assignment, every work that a student does is 100% paid. So the assignments are either paid on an hourly basis, or and that's mainly with clients who are paired with students, they're all hourly based, or they're paid on a project basis. So we base that off of, you know, let's say some we understand like how long a drafting a contract might take that can be priced at a certain price or a research assignment that can be capped at three hours that'll be a price at just one certain price but mainly it is hourly based so that's the main way that we pay our students but yeah everyone is always paid wow that's an amazing thing because that isn't always the case where do you want to see your company go in the future this is a brand new company it's it's up and running mm -hmm. it's being quite successful where do you see yourself going in the future so I see this growing nationwide, hopefully in Canada, worldwide. We, I'm hoping that it can be an international company. We do have international clients already, but as you mentioned, the jurisdictions and like, I don't really understand what goes on in the UK and that law student process. And in Canada, I know the articling students. So I know that there are differences, but that is something that we obviously have to figure out. So right now, the main focus is nationwide. We have clients in over 20 states, students in 20 states around as well. So the goal is to just really be able to expand throughout the whole country, maybe partner with law schools to be able to get the name out to students more so that they can get that hands-on experience. So 
that's the goal really is to be able to allow every single law student that wants to be able to get experience to get that experience and allow these solo practitioners and the smaller firms, even bigger firms and legal tech companies who want to just be able to get this project-based assistance, because again, they're entrepreneurs themselves to be able to get that. And so I think a lot of the times law firms themselves are like, oh, I don't have the bandwidth to bring someone on full-time or what if I bring on an intern and then I don't have enough work for them. That's the beauty of the project basis. Like we really are just as needed. So when you need us, we're here for you. If you don't need us, you want to take a week off where you're just on vacation or something, that's completely fine too. You don't have to worry about us. And also we handle the tax issues, et cetera. So yeah, we just want to make it as easy as possible for students to get work and for law firms to receive that assistance. And so I see this growing. I'm excited about it. <laughs> it sounds like an amazing project and it's really well needed because thank you. we do not get that kind of experience as we go through the legal process, we end up coming out and mm -hmm. it's almost like we suddenly discover, hey, wait a minute, I don't like practicing in this area that I yeah. thought and I've invested all this time, energy and money to get here. And then I'm mm -hmm. going back and I don't know how to get off it. So this is a perfect right. getting that experience ahead of time, really knowing where you want to be and how you want to go about it. Plus, the student yep. loans aren't a joke and being able to fund yourself as you yep. go through is a wonderful thing. Thank you very much, Haley, for joining us today. If you would like to reach out and learn more about gig law, you can find information at giglaw.co. Her Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.